Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Standing to my left is Mr. You know his name, Bubba Justice. When when he became, um, he had a title for a bit called the National Coordinator, and I remember, I don't know if he said it, but we used to say there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Bubba Justice. So he served as kind of the executive pastor, if you will, for Vineyard USA, and if you don't know, Vineyard USA is an association of churches like ours, somewhere near 600 churches, a little less than that now, and we are part of a family of churches around the world with we're, oh, are we in 16 AVCs now? There are 16 nations that have their own association of vineyard churches. We have 102 churches that the, or nations that the United States is working in. And then we're in partnerships where we're really working hard in about 50 nations. Wow. And we have about 3,000 of our yep. churches around the globe. It's really remarkable. So currently, Bubba is serving as our missions coordinator for the movement. And he's working with, um, with people that are working in regions. So we have a regional missions um, partnership coordinator for Southern California. That's the region of the vineyard that we're in. There's also n- nine regions. Is that There's right? Nine we just regions. reorganized everything. So there, there are nine regions, yes. right? And three super regions. In any, any case, before that... Bubba, as you'll figure out, hailed from Birmingham, Alabama, Alabama, and you were pastor of the Inverness Vineyard Vineyard for uh, 23 years. 23 years. So he he pastored, planted, pastored a church there. He's also a CPA. So he just kind of has his hands all over the world, and and he's become a dear friend. And every time he's in town, if it's possible to have him come and speak to you, we absolutely grab a hold of that privilege. And so, so he was, of course, at the regional conference we were just at, and he made the offer, would anyone like to meet us? And we were the first in line that said, yes, we'd like to hang out with you. So he's going he's gonna to speak to us, and then he's going to meet with some of our missions leadership team afterward for lunch and just talk about what's going on in the world. So let's just bless him as he prepares to bring the word of God to us. Father, thank you for, for Bubba. <coughs> Thank you for calling someone into serving you and serving your family around the world. We appreciate the gift that he is to us. And we're asking that you would bless him now in a way that he could speak the words from the heart of God to encourage us, to exhort us, to challenge us, to invite us. We, Father, want to know you more. We want to become more like you. We want to be filled with your spirit. And we want to be sent by you to do your good works here and around the world. Bring your blessing to him and through him right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I will apologize in advance. Uh, I have a little bit of a dry cough that I've been struggling with for uh, about a week. And so if I accidentally cough into the mic, please forgive me. Uh, second thing, I kept asking Ron, now how long do I have to speak? He, he never responded back. 
And so I'm just going to assume this is like a missions thing. Whenever I'm in Africa or Asia, they say, hey, you, get, you got two hours to speak. And then he just told me that I only have like 35, 40 minutes. Uh, and so maybe there will be a miracle, like a reverse multiplication, where, where all the things that I've got to say will be uh, crammed into the next few minutes. I do have my timer on my watch, so if the cock crows, you know that I have spoken too long. Uh, and, you know, just during worship and just as I've been thinking about being here with you as a congregation, uh, I do want to say you are absolutely a delightful group of people. Every time I'm here, I love being here. You have one of the kindest pastors that I know, and I know a lot of pastors. Can I just, can I just say that if, if all of our pastors were as kind as Ron man, we would really be blessing all the communities we're in. And, and I honestly mean that. I can't say that every time that I'm in a church. Uh, so, so I'm grateful. And then I was thinking about the last time I was here, which was in November. Uh, I remember we had a night where we talked about, you know, what does the Holy Spirit want for this church? And again, I was just reminded that you're... And, and I believe this is something that the Lord would want you to know. Your city needs you. They need a place where they can encounter the living God, not an abstract uh, belief system, but some place where they can experience real God. They need a worship where it's not about performance, but it's about a place where people can connect with the living God. And your place, your city needs a place where uh, the business people and the waiters can come to you, where you're, you're kind to them. Your city needs you to do what you do in the nations. But here's what I found. When we serve our city, they're often not as grateful as the nations. It's sort of like if you've ever been a parent and you're serving a 13-year-old daughter, they tend not to be as grateful as other people are. And so I just want you to know there are things that you will do for your city that God wants you to do for your city that people won't always appreciate. People, uh, you know, we've just come out of this absolutely horrible COVID time where people have been put into isolation and it's hard. If you talk to any teacher that is now teaching students in person, they will say that those kids have gone absolutely crazy. They have forgotten how to interact with one another. Can I tell you that people have forgotten how to be kind to one another? And, and, and it's become hostile because we've been so isolated for so long. But I believe that's one of the reasons that God places churches in communities so that they can be kind, so they can be the place that people from different systems, belief systems, political systems, can come together and show the kindness that's from God. Now, if I was Pentecostal, I'd throw on a thus saith the Lord, but uh, I, I just, I really do believe that's something that God has for your church. Now, I'm going to read the scripture first, because otherwise you're going to think, is he ever going to preach out of the Bible? Uh, and so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be reading from 
Acts, the 13th chapter, verse 1. I think they also put this up. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Now, you'll see that I will reference different translations of the Bible. I've taken Greek, I've taken Hebrew, and it about killed me. Uh, I just, my brain's not cut out for languages. But one of the, of the professors, language professors, said this, that if you will read the, the Scripture in like four or five or six different translations, that you'll get all of the nuances of the Scripture. I said, well, why didn't you tell me that before we had to go through and learn these different languages? And so I'm reading from the New Living Translation today, beginning in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Among the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Mania, the childhood companion of King Herod Atipus, and Saul. And one day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Cilicia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There, in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and they preached the word of God, and John Mark went with them as their assistant. And afterward, they traveled down to a town across the entire island until they finally reached Patphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man, and the governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said, and he was trying to keep the governor from believing. Verse 9, and we're almost through, and Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked a sorcerer in the eye, and then he said, You son of the devil! full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand on you for punishment, and you'll be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time, and instantly mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. And when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Maybe it wasn't just the teaching. Maybe he was astonished at some of the other stuff that happened. And so I just want to pause because when I read stories like that in the Bible, I ask myself, wouldn't it be great if stuff like that still happened today? Then I look back over my life, and I want you to know that oftentimes God will do miraculous things if we make ourselves available. And sometimes it's through the very painful processes of life that God comes and speaks to us, that God comes and intervenes and gives us an invitation 
to have an encounter with him. And so, you know, I look back at my life. I grew up in a Christian home, but we lived in poverty. My father had left when I was five years old, uh, but my grandmother had started a street mission with my grandfather in 1945. And and so we... uh, were around this mission stuff for during the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. She, she ran the mission. I grew up around homeless people, and, and our family struggled with the, all the issues that come along with poverty. Uh, no, you know, we were on food stamps. We were on Medicaid. All of the difficult things that go on, if it wasn't for the generosity of people in the church and generosity of the government providing these basic necessities, we wouldn't have made it. And so I had this faith in God, but I also knew I didn't want to be around ministry. I didn't like poverty. Can I just have a confession for you right there? Uh, I've eaten a lot of things, but I don't like poverty whatsoever. And so I said, hey, what I'm going to do, I had this goal to be in the military. And I had gotten a nomination from our congressman to go to Annapolis Military Academy. (coughs) Well, I got one of my disappointments. I got a letter back from the Naval Academy that says, your math scores aren't high enough to get into the Naval Academy. <coughs> you'll have to work, you'll have to do something else, and you can reapply. Well, I'm, I'm dealing with disappointment about that, and then I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit. Now, I grew up Southern Baptist. <coughs> we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I began to read, I'm a senior in high school, and I go to this crusade, that's led by a Pentecostal preacher named Jimmy Swaggart. And he gives this invitation for people that want to be filled with the Holy Spirit to come forward. And so I said, okay, now I'm a Baptist. You always walk to the front when something was going on. So I walked down to the front and it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. People were laying on the floor they were crying, <clears throat> they were weeping, people were running around, they were all shouting in different languages, and someone came up to me and says, what do you want? I said, I think I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they grabbed my neck and they started squeezing my neck, and they say, say praise God real fast over and over and you'll get to speak in tongues. And they kept squeezing my neck harder and harder. And I knew if I didn't say something, they weren't going to let go of my neck. And so I just made some gibberish come out. (coughs) And man, they said, he's got it. And they went to their next victim. I mean, the next person they were going to pray for. Uh, And when I turned around, right behind me was a Baptist pastor that had taught in some of the children's camps that I'd gone to, and I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, what are you doing here? Uh, He invited me out to lunch. He told me that in their church, they had just cast out demons the Sunday night before. Now, you need to understand something. I'm someone that likes to try things that that I've never done before. So I called up a friend of mine who had a drug problem. I said, hey, do you want to go cast demons out of each other on uh, like Friday night or Saturday night? 
And he said, sure, we'll go to the place where I smoke marijuana. And so, so we go to this park. It's 10 o'clock at night. And, and I try to cast, he tries to cast some demon out of me and nothing happens. And I say, okay, you dope smoking demon, you come out of my friend. And all of a sudden his head started spinning like the exorcist. And in like this deep voice, he says, I'm going to beat you. And so I jumped out of the car. Only story going through my mind is when those seven sons of Sceva and Acts tried to cast a demon out of someone and he jumped on them, stripped them naked and beat them. Well, I didn't want to be running through a park in the middle of the night naked because this is also the place that all the homosexual folks hung out. And I remember jumping out of the car, running to a payphone, you know, that thing that where you could put money into something and you could call somebody. And, and it just happened that that pastor was like 10 minutes from where we were. And he lived an hour from where we were. And he came over and they took care of the demons. And so that's how I got into the vineyard. <laughs> now, now I, I figured, hey, maybe I need to go to Bible college. And so, uh, senior in high school, I apply for a Bible college. I go to the Bible college, and they are not a charismatic Bible college. So they don't believe any of the stuff that I just told you. All of it's wrong. And they said, "Uh, you can't come here if you really believe that. They said, but we'll let you in if you promise us that that if we show you from, from the Bible that none of this is true, that you'll give it up? I said, absolutely. I don't want to do something that you can't find in the Bible. So I went that whole year, had interesting conversations with my professors. Uh, I challenged him on a lot of things. At the end of the year, the dean of students called me into, my office, into his office and said, said, it doesn't look like we're going to change your mind. I said, you haven't shown me one place in Scripture where healing would ever stop. I said, there's one Scripture that if you... Take one interpretation, it said tongues would stop and prophecy would cease when that which is perfect has come. I said, but this other stuff? I said, I don't know. He said, well, you can't come back next year. So I've got this disappointment because I felt like the Lord had wanted me to do something for him. And so I went to Bible college and then I get kicked out. And I'm going and I'm stocking groceries. And because that's what I did while I was in high school, that's what I did uh, part-time while I was in uh, going to Bible college. And so I started again working full-time, working all night. I'm in the frozen food section of a supermarket. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, I feel like God speaks to me and says, you're to go get a business degree. It's going to take you, because it's going to be 10 years before you get into ministry. And you need to get married, and you need to get out of debt and finish your education. So, wow, that's interesting. Now, at the same time, I'm working as a volunteer youth pastor in a local church, and and that week we're going to go to a ministry time where there's some, some people there that's going to pray for different churches and different teams. And so as we're driving to this ministry time, I tell one of the associate pastors, I said, hey, this is what I felt like the Lord said to me. I need to get a business degree because it's going to be 10 years. And, and he said, wow, that's interesting. We get to the meeting 
And there's this guy, and some of you will know this person uh, named Bob Jones, and John Paul Jackson were there. And Bob Jones called me out, and he said, son, you're called into ministry, but it's going to be 10 years. And so, I mean, this within like a week, and I just looked at that person that I had spoken to, and he looked at me, and I said, okay, I'm just going to go. I'm get my business degree, start going to uh, a junior college. First class I took was typing because I had stayed up all night doing those one-finger things, writing papers. Uh, and then in business, you start taking classes like accounting. And when I took accounting, I found out that I was really good at it. And now, little boys in Alabama don't grow up wanting to be accountants. I wanted to be John Wayne in the Green Beret. I was going to be the hero. That's why I was going to be in the Annapolis the Military Academy. Uh, at the same time, Again, we're at the small group one night. We're praying. We're worshiping. You'll see where all of this is going in a minute. Uh, I promise. Hopefully, you're still awake. Sometimes uh, I might make a mistake when I'm speaking because my brain thinks faster than my mouth speaks. It's a southern thing. Uh, uh, One time I was preaching, and uh, I said I was reading obituaries, and I was just saying, you know, what will people say about your life when you're through. I said, Miss Smith was known for her continence. And my wife said, what? I should have said countenance. And I said, I guess it's better than being known for incontinence. Uh, So sometimes I'll I'll say those things. Uh, So I'm sitting there. uh, We're at this worship thing, this thing, and there's this couple there, and they're starting to pray for people. And they come to me and they pray for me and they said, son, don't worry about being married because one of the ways that you'll know your wife is that she will be filled with the Holy Spirit as a five-year-old. Now, I grew up Southern Baptist. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit at five. And so I'm sitting there and say, wow, that's interesting. And I I end up having to join the military uh, in the Air National Guard because I had to pay for my own education I, I get back from there, and there's this beautiful young woman sitting on the worship team up there. She started coming to the church while I was off in military training, and, and I said, man, i got to talk to her. And I'm sitting there, and we're part of a big youth group, uh, college-age group, and when we talk, she, we're talking about our different experiences, how we became uh, Christians, how we, uh, our experience with the Holy Spirit. And she said, yeah, I was five years old, and I was uh, uh, talking with my Sunday school teacher said, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And she prayed for me, and I spoke in tongues, and I went back to playing. And I said, wow. Now, I didn't tell her that I had this prophetic word that that was how I was going to know my wife because she didn't want to have anything to do with me from a dating standpoint. Uh, but then she asked me out. I can say that because she's not here. Uh, uh, and 13 months later, we were married. Uh, and I only told her after we were dating seriously that I had that, that, that the Holy Spirit had spoken to me about those things. Now, we're just going on. I'm getting my education. I end up working for Ernst & Young, an international accounting firm. It was really good. And then we're in a worship service on a Sunday night, January 1993, And we have this guest speaker comes in, and he says to us, the Holy Spirit says, you're supposed to plant a church. 
And our church was only about 150 people. And we said, how could we plant a church? We're too small to plant a church. But we started praying about it and said, is this what we're supposed to do? And we began to seek the Lord. And sure enough, by January 1994, we're planting a church on the southern part of Birmingham. We bought a building as a satellite congregation. I'm helping the pastor. I'm volunteering. And I'm still working as a CPA, as a CFO of a company. And as, as we're going, later in the year, in the spring, in May, April, May of that year, John Wimber in the Vineyard had a church planting conference in St. Louis. I go to this conference. John Wimber prays for me. He says to me, he says, as you've been faithful to Lamar, God's going to surround you with faithful men and women as you go out to plant a church. As we're going home, Lamar the pastor of the church that I was going to, said to me, Bubba, we're supposed to let you be the pastor of the church we just started. And we're going to call our regional leader, and we're going to ask him to come and do a commissioning for you. And he said, okay, we're going to do that. They couldn't do it till Father's Day, 1994. Now, I'm really excited. And then a friend calls up and said, Bubba, have you read your New Testament reading for today out of the one-year Bible? I said, no. He said, you need to go look at it. It was Acts 13. The scripture that I just read to you, it was 10 years from the time that Bob Jones had given me the word. It was, in, it was within a month or two of, it was May, June that Bob Jones had spoke to me, and it was June that the Lord allowed us to go forth. The Holy Spirit spoke. Now, I just went through a bunch of stuff because I wanted you to see, and we read the Scripture first, that the Holy Spirit still speaks today. And you and I have to put ourselves in position where we're in places where the Holy Spirit can speak. In one of those places, if you were to go back and look at Acts 13, Verse 1, it says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod, and Saul. What you'll see is that you've got people, you need to be in places where people with different spiritual gifts function. It said there were prophets and teachers. Matter of fact, uh, if you have read a lot of your Bible, you'll know that in Ephesians 4.11 it says, that God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the building up of the body. And can I tell you, you actually need some people in your life that have all of those types of giftings. You need an apostolic friend in your life who calls you to your greater purpose. You need a prophetic person in your life who spoils your party when your party needs spoiling. Any of you need your party spoiling? Uh, Anybody done something wrong? Who's that friend that will confront you? We need people in our lives that uh, will constantly invite others into our lives, the evangelist-type person. We need people in our life that love us no matter what, the pastor-type person. We need people in our life that are like teachers that constantly give things in our life. I actually have done a whole series on that. See, when I get to go out and preach, I get to just mention things that I've done in a whole series. Uh, But we need different people involved in our life. And then here's the other thing, and this is what the early church did really well. We need people that are culturally different than we are. It's just interesting to me that in this scripture, you had a practicing Jewish person 
Barnabas was one of those folks that was a Jewish believer in Christ. He, he was very active in his belief system. And then you have, uh, you know, they make reference to Simeon called the black man or Simeon Niger. They think this is the person that carried the cross of Jesus. That they just had, so someone from a different culture, someone from a different religious background. You've got some people that are from the Greek background. You've got Paul or Saul, who's also known as Paul, who <coughs> was a Hellenistic Jew. And so they all, can you imagine the political discussions they had? Because you had uh, one of them that was best friends with Herod, grew up with Herod, who was a liberal political party. You know, in our culture today, we don't see people from different groups. We, we tend to segment off. And I want you to know that oftentimes the Holy Spirit will speak when we're with people that are different than us. And they were different economic differences, slave and free. And, and what I want to encourage you to do is to begin to look for people that are different than you. Look for opportunities. Invite people in that may be a little bit different than you. Because sometimes the Lord will speak to them. I mean, I tend to be very conservative. And when I'm with people that are more liberal than I am, especially when it comes to social issues, they challenge me in caring for the poor. Sometimes conservatives can have the right belief, but we have the bad practice. I say that as a conservative, someone that's very conservative. We, you know, this whole and, and thing about Roe versus Wade and the Supreme Court thing being overturned. And what I've seen a lot from a lot of my friends that said all of the people and I'm one of them that believe in, I was pro-life and pro-life, that now we need to make sure babies are taken care of. Matter of fact, every church should all of a sudden have people in the church volunteer for foster care. If we really want to be, put, put our mouth and our actions where our thing is, we need to be one of the biggest proponents of foster care system that there is. See, and again, it sometimes challenges us, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will speak when we're in situations where we have different people. And then, I want you to know what it said in verse 2. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and they're fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work I've called them. We need to also not only be intentionally be with people that are different from us, but we need to be in spaces where the Holy Spirit can speak. Now, they did it in worship, and they did it in fasting. Now, I love your worship team. Can I tell you, I enjoy, every time I come here, oh, I just soak in the presence of God. Worship team, thank you. Thank you. I mean that. I've never felt like I was in a performance here. It feels like you really want to connect with people with God. That creates this atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to speak. And then they got this other word that I don't like called fasting. You can tell I don't do a lot of it. Uh, one time, I, I just go back. One time I'm fasting. I've been fasting for like three days, and I'm in a church staff meeting. And the worship leader actually pulls me aside and said, you need to go eat a hamburger. Anything you're accomplishing for the good by fasting, you're undoing by your attitude to the staff. And so I said, speak, Holy Spirit. Come on, more, more. 
And I went and got a hamburger. But, but there are times that we do need to deny ourselves. There are times that we do need to, to fast. Man, I so appreciate it. I worked with uh, a Jewish guy who on Yom Kippur, he would not fast from sunup to sundown. When I've been in Muslims' countries, they're, I mean, they're much more disciplined than, than we are when it comes to fasting because we believe in grace and, and stuff. Sometimes we sort of jettison some of those spiritual disciplines. And I just want to encourage you that we would be provoked sometimes to do those spiritual disciplines because the Lord does speak when we're fasting. But it's often, often slowing for me. Uh, you'll get it. That's just southern humor. Uh, are you in places where, where you're worshiping? No, Sunday morning we can worship. That's where the Holy Spirit spoke in our church service for us to plant a church was in this meeting. Ron talked about a meeting tonight where you got this small group of intimate worship. The Holy Spirit will speak in those meetings. Sometimes it's by yourself. When you're just praying and you're seeking the Lord, are you putting yourself in places that the Holy Spirit can speak to you? Uh, and he'll speak through other people. What are the words that the Lord has said over this church? And do you know, what are the things that the Lord's called this church to do and to be? Are you, are you really pressing into that? When our church first started out, we had a, a band come where it's a Sunday night. We were praying, and this, this guy that had a prophetic gift said, the Lord has called this place a safe place for prodigals and for widows and for orphans. And so all of a sudden, we started pursuing those things. In, in our county, in Birmingham, Alabama, we increased the number of foster care parents by 80%. We actually got a letter from the governor of the state of Alabama that says you've done more than any other church to increase the number of foster care in the State Department of uh, Child Care. Told every church in the state, if you want to work with the government, you go work with the Inverness Vineyard Church because they know how to do it right. We started feeding children that had nothing to eat on from the time they left school on Friday afternoon to they got back to school on uh, Monday morning, and, and now that is, we're feeding 20,000 students every weekend. Now, not just as a church, but we've invited the whole community to help, and, and the Civitans, and, the, and all these companies are now helping. But it's because the Holy Spirit spoke, and we acted on what the Holy Spirit said. And then I love what it says, that they then... They had this word from the Lord. They, they said, so after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on the way. We're always supposed to test what we're supposed to do. You know, <clears throat> it's you, you and I just can't just say, oh, the Holy Spirit told me to do this. Man, there are people that have claimed that the Holy Spirit told them to do some weird stuff. And they never allowed someone else to test it. What I want you to see is the early church, they had this impression from God about things they're supposed to do. But then they went back and said, God, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Am I really supposed to? They tested it. Uh, they spent time praying. 
I mean, how often do you pray for your pastor in person? Now, I was in an interview with someone the other day, and I said, for the last 12 years that I pastored in Birmingham, Alabama, I had a group of people that physically prayed for me. I was in the room with them for an hour every week for 12 years. They said, we have never heard, this person does a lot of, we've never heard someone that had that type of prayer cover, some type of pastor that had that type of prayer cover. How often do you pray for your pastor? How often do you pray for his wife? I just want to challenge you that that's one of the things the early church does and that when we pray, then the Holy Spirit speaks and we can go and act. And then look what it says, uh, verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit and they went down to the seaport and then they sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. And John Mark went with them. What I want you to see from the scripture, scriptures, a couple of things. They were sent by the Holy Spirit. You know, that they knew that they were on a mission from God. What are you doing that you know that you're on a mission from God? They, they went to the Jewish synagogues because that's where all of the people who were God seekers showed up. They said, God's at work in the Jewish synagogues. Let's go preach where God's at work. Where are we looking for where God's at work? And then they preached the good news. Now, this is the thing that I love. Listen, I will never apologize for this. We serve a God that has taken away... And and in America, we always concentrate on guilt. We always say, here's the wrong things. And believe me, there's a lot of wrong things that I've done that I need forgiveness for. Uh, But we sometimes forget that he also took away our shame because sometimes there's things that we've done that we're ashamed of and we can't function. And he took away our fear. There's things that we don't have to be afraid of. I remember one of the very first Bible verses that I ever learned as a kid was out of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That the God, the creator of the universe, loves the entire world. There's not some people that he loves and some people that he hates it says that God causes his reign to fall on both his, those that love him and those that are enemies of his. He, he, we're to love like that. We're to love people we have disagreements with. That's the good news. The good news is that, and I can tell you that I am so grateful that I've known God. I've known Jesus my entire life. And when my family went through a divorce, I was comforted because Jesus was with me. When I was, had abusive stepfathers, I was comforted because Jesus was with me. When, when I've gone through some very difficult, dark days with my daughter, Jesus was with me. The good news is that God loves us. And he says, if we just simply believe And that type of belief is that we actually have to have action that follows it. 
that it's not just an intellectual belief, but it's a belief where we respond, that we will have everlasting life. That's the good news. And it's interesting to me that it also says that they're taking along younger people. We're, we're never supposed to do things by ourselves. They were training John Mark. And then Acts 13, 6, it says, After this, they traveled from the town to town. And I've got three minutes and 48 seconds. Uh, before the rooster crows. Uh, and they were traveling town to town across the entire island till they reached uh, Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, what I want you to know, this wasn't, he wasn't, the condemnation here wasn't that he was Jewish, it was that he was a sorcerer. I mean, all of the God-fearers, most of the God-fearers in the Bible were Jewish people. Uh, it's just that he was a sorcerer. He was someone that was named the son of Jesus. That's what bar Jesus means, son of Jesus. And he was trying to keep the governor from hearing the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing what I want you to know is that if you and I are going to pursue God, we've got to be prepared for spiritual warfare. There are real, <coughs> there are real demons. There are people who are controlled by anger, who are controlled by depression, who are controlled by bitterness. And they've done everything in their human power to stop doing those things. And what I want you to know is that sometimes there's a demonic source to those things that we struggle with. And sometimes we need freedom from those things. And what I so appreciate about your church is that if people have these issues, then it gives an opportunity to receive prayer to be set free from demonic oppression. Uh, Notice it says that Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. We need these fillings of the Holy Spirit. Then he acted on the leading of the Spirit, and he confronted the demonic spirit. And it said this, <coughs> Acts thirteen twelve. And when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Your city needs you. Not because of what you believe, but because of what you do. There are men and women, boys and girls, teenagers in the city, that their families have deserted them and they need freedom. There are people that have addictions that need to be set free. This time, coming out of COVID, has been one of the most difficult times that this world has seen in ages, since the Black Plague. I mean, people were isolated. I read some stuff by a neuroscientist that talks about how much we need to see each other face-to-face -to, -face to function. Now, again, to pre prevent disease and stuff, I understand. I'm not, this is not a political statement. But I'm saying that you and I need each other. 
We live in a community that has been isolated for going on two years. They are people that are so lonely, and that's what the church is called to do. We're called to be a community of faith where we go out. Uh Uh-oh. The rooster crowed. I'm through. I know. So so I, I told you, when the rooster crows, I'll be through. We're going to pray. (coughs) Father, Lord, I really do thank you that you're here. We just wait on you. We don't have to invite you to come, but Lord, we want to recognize that you're here. There's just some people here that you've been so disappointed with God. Maybe you had a plan to do something with your life and it got sidetracked. Maybe you're one of those people that as much as you've done in your human ability, you can't get past anger. You can't get past bitterness. Lord's here. Maybe you're someone that says, I want to know this real God, this real Jesus. We want to pray for you. Lord, come. I know there are people that have been trained to pray for others. If, if you're available, would you come and, and, and stand? And one of the reasons that we do this is that we want to give you, if you would like prayer, the choice of who prays for you. You may look at someone and say, I don't want that person praying for me. Well, then go pray for, get someone else to pray for you. You know, so part of this is just an opportunity. Uh, and my history with Ron is that I believe that every single person up here is kind and they're going to be quiet and they're going to listen and they're going to wait for the Lord to speak to them. But if the rest of us would just stand and we're not going to stay here until somebody comes forward or something, you know, we're not going to sing 500 verses of Just As I Am Without one plea, please somebody come forward. But we're just making these folks available to pray for you. If you felt that loneliness, if you want encouragement, would you come let someone pray for you? And again, if you're not receiving prayer, guys, it's okay. If you don't have something you need prayer, please don't feel anything urgencies come. But if you want prayer, we want to give some space for people to be able to receive prayer. We just ask that you would be respectful of the people that are receiving prayer. What if I feel like someone's struggling with a headache?
just all of a sudden my head started hurting. If that's you, we want to pray that the Lord would bring healing to your head. Is that that's you? Would you let some of the, one of these folks come up here and pray for you if you've got a real headache? So the worship team's going to sing. When the song is done, we're just going to pray until people get all of the things that they need done, done. But let that be like a freedom for you to be. You don't have to wait for someone to come back up here and say, hey, you can leave now. But we're going to sing this final song. And then we're going to pray for the folks that have responded. Thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.